Hello guys and welcome back to the James McIntosh Football Podcast. Today we have an absolute treat for you guys because today I'm joined by a true legend of the game. This man has gone on to captain England at the highest levels, playing with some of the best players in the world and has even created one of the most famous sporting images of all time. I'm joined by none other than Terry Butcher. Terry, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, mate? Um, very good, just doing some paperwork, play, um, just looking at the computer, just um, been in the garden the last couple of days, so generally pottering about. So I'm retired now, so um, I can do what I want to do um, and do when I want to do it, so it's great. Oh, sounds brilliant. That's the life, really. But before we get into it, I just want to say a big shout out to my dad and your son, Ed, for sorting this all out. But now, I think we need to get the time back to 1958, because you were born in this year, and I think you were actually born in Singapore, if that's right. So can you just tell me about that and how you actually came over to England? Well, I didn't know much about it, but um, my, <laughs> my dad was in the Royal Navy, and um, he applied for a position, which was a, a, um, a couple's or sort of married um, uh, position uh, um, out in the Far East, and... Um, because he, he went to HMS Ganges, which is a um, recruitment sort of centre for 15-year-olds as he left school at 15. And he progressed through his training and then uh, wanted then to um, eventually uh, move abroad and, you know, see the world. So um, that's what sailors do. And my mum joined him and I was born out in Singapore. So um, I can't remember much because we came back when I was, what, two years old. So it's, uh, I think I came back and didn't like the cold weather. So uh, that was about my only memories of being really young. Yeah, because you did come over to England and I think you did your school in England. And I think you were actually quite smart when you were younger. I was actually reading that you went to a grammar school. Is that right? Yeah, I was promoted um, up a year at school. Um, I was, uh, my dad was very very good, very strict with me in terms of my lessons and what I had to learn and spelling in particular. He loved the English language and um, he wanted it to, you know, wanted to pass it on to me. So I enjoyed grammar school and but getting there, I had to pass my was 11 plus and um, uh, I took that when I was like 10 years old. So I went to grammar school and just after I joined, the grammar school then turned to comprehensive. So it was good at, you know, for an early part with the grammar school where, you know, you had to, you know, to walk and, um, along certain routes and, you know, your dress code was very strict, but in the end it had a big intake, to, a big intake of um, everyone really could, could go there. So, um, so I think the standards sort of dropped with the school, but it was a great school and I learned all about sports and sports sort of took over my life um, rather than the actual um work in the school you know work with um all the different subjects i didn't particularly like that but i loved cricket basketball swimming volleyball football rugby anything any sport i wanted to play it yeah because i was reading somewhere that i think in your first football game you were a goalkeeper and you lost seven one or something is that true yeah, yeah that was when I, that junior school that was before i went to the grammar school but um yeah it wasn't particularly uh a great debut and uh, we lost 7-1 and in those days you had to walk to the other school so it was quite a walk there and quite a walk back so um but I was quite loud as a goalkeeper I was um, very vociferous and demanding that my defenders do a lot better and all this kind of thing as well and um, I was always talking and I was warned by the headmaster that if I wanted to play for the school again I had to shut up so, uh, <laughs> 
And thankfully, I didn't take his advice because I talked all the time. And I think that's <laughs> that's something in the modern game now that's very much lacking. Yeah, because I was going to say, that's really what you want between the goalkeeper and defenders, really talking with each other and communication. I think it's one of the things we actually lack in the modern day football. So when you were talking, how did you actually get to the defence bit? Because did you like talk to a PE teacher about it? Because you must have been tall back then as well, I'm guessing. No, we never had any coaching, never did anything really. Just we play football in the park and in the playgrounds and at break time and all this kind of thing. So we just learn how to play um, together um, at a very early age and you, you'd kick anything, you know, you'd kick tin cans or stones in the in the playground and just wanted to play a sport. Um, so, yeah, we, we I eventually be, learned to, to become a defender. I, I didn't particularly like playing in goal because I didn't really touch the ball a lot and, you know, you, you tend to make probably more mistakes in goal, but um, further out on the, on the pitch, I loved it. And I was left-footed. I became left-footed by um, dropping a, a teapot of freshly made tea onto my oh. right foot. Yeah, I, so I had to... I couldn't kick a ball for a long time afterwards, and it's still scarred to this day. But I then became left-footed, and I just kicked the ball with my left foot. So I wouldn't advise any parents or grandparents to do that for their children. Um, but I was... I was I was very fortunate in a way it's fate because there was a, a real lack and still a real lack now of quality left-footed players that can slot in beside right-footed. There's a an abundance of right-footed players, but you know the lefties are sort of rare breed, and that enabled me to get sort of game time and play left back or left midfield or left centre back and all these kind of things. So yeah, I was I was unfortunate in one respect, but very lucky in the other. Yeah, it was kind of like, no, so this teapot was a bit like fate, kind of, because obviously you've got one of the best left foots I think England's ever seen when it comes to defensive work. And then I think you actually got scouted for Norwich, if that's right. But you're an Ipswich fan, so I'm guessing you didn't really like that one too much. Well, Ipswich hadn't asked me for it. Well, they, they had asked me for a trial, but in the meantime, Norwich came in and I was I was 17. So I, I was uh, in my last year at school. Um so I couldn't leave at 15 um, because the the age to leave was uh, put up to 16. So I couldn't um, leave school. I, I wanted. I had a place at university, not university, at Trent Polytechnic as it was then. I had a place for uh, quantity surveying. Um, oh, yeah. My mother wanted me to go there, but my dad said, "No, you've got an opportunity. Go to your, go to Norwich and see what what they can offer. See what they do." And then, of course, I had a four week trial at Ipswich after. The Norwich uh, match, or you know, just going there, but I had to wear the Norwich kit. I mean, it's, it was, <laughs> I felt physically sick. It was horrible. So I then um, went down to Ipswich and I had a four-week trial. And after three weeks, Bobby Rob Bobby Robson signed me as a professional. So um, I had the opportunity and I took it. But I still had a, a long, long way to go before I could get anywhere near the first team and anywhere near anything else. So. You know, that, the process started there, but it was just magnificent for me to sign pro forms with Ipswich. Um, they were my team. I supported them all the way through um, my my youth and uh, all the way up to being an um, adolescent and teenager. And I, I followed them through thick and thin. And it was just great to, to become um, part of the grand staff and part of the young boys learning my trade there. Yeah, because I think when you got signed by the academy, was it actually so much in the academy? Because I don't think it was such a big thing there coming through the ranks. It was more kind of a youth setup, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, it was it was um, called. Uh, I can't remember now what it was called, but it wasn't the academy. They never had an academy. They had sort of representative sides of I think under 15s, under 13s. Didn't really go much below that. Um, and they used to meet uh, schools of excellence. That's what it was called. And they, you, oh, to meet, yeah. met, you met up on a Thursday night um, at the ground at Ipswich, and I was I went there a couple of times before and. Um, I didn't enjoy it that much because there was like hundreds of children there and a lot of the children were smaller than me. I was massive compared to them. Um, you know, 12, 13 year olds and I'm a big strapping 17 year old. And you know, it wasn't particularly much fun, but they obviously saw enough to invite me for a trial. But yeah, there were no, there was no academies and you know, it's a far, far distance from, from where it is today. Um, and quite rightly so, but it's taken a long while for it to reach these levels that the, the academies are now at football clubs. But it's, and it's amazing, really, how youngsters manage to get through um, the, youth, the, the youth set up and through into the reserves as it was then in the first team because you know they, we didn't have anything like they, they have now. It was more uh, our love for the game and our, our determination to succeed. Yeah, because along those lines, football, was it so much a career back then? Because obviously now you've got TV rights, you've got radio rights, all stuff like this, really. And you can really make a career out of it and you can go on to make millions. But was this so much a thing back then? Or was it more like a hobby that you can get into, which perhaps maybe at the top level, you might be able to get some money out of it? Well, it was definitely not. You know, It used to be a hobby, but when you, when you sign professional, it becomes business it becomes um you know the workplace and that was my i had to learn through the youth team and reserves my apprenticeship but yeah there was there was good money to be made and you know football was a very high, high profile sport the national sport um and it was um you know it's you look at back some of the teams you know the leeds united teams manchester united teams i mean it was all very um entertaining very exciting match of the day came around and you, know, you had to watch you watch the FA Cup final every year, England internationals, home internationals, World Cups, all that. Yeah, it was it was big business. Um, not anything like it is today, which is massive. But you know, it was it was still very good in its own right. And you know, there were there were heroes and obviously villains as well. But it had everything, and um, it was just just to be part of that system, just to be working my way through it was a real honour. But it was tough. It was really really tough. It's, I'd say it's a bit easier now in terms of the, the physicality, um, the training, um, the endurance and everything else that we went through. So it was it was tough and only the toughest really got really survived and got through it. So um, nowadays it's you know, I, I hate the word woke, but it is very much, you know, say it's, it's, it's not as brutal as it was back in our day, you know, verbally and physically as well. So. You know, it, it made you a man. It made me into into what I became and, and how I had the strength and I had the sort of framework to to go um, to go a long way. And I was very lucky that I was given the opportunities. And you know, you're also very lucky that you that you take them. Yeah, it was kind of a bit like survivor of the fittest, I'm guessing. And you did make it through all the ranks, eventually getting into the first team. And this must have been surreal. Kind of your way of acknowledging you've made it. You've made it as a footballer. And of course, surely conversations like these were starting to be happened. And then when you did make it into the first team, you were playing with heroes as well. And what was that like? Do you still remember your first training session with the first team? I, I remember 
um, my first and early days at Ipswich going into the away dressing room as it was then at Portman Road. That's where the uh, under 18s, the youth team and the reserves uh, changed. Um, and if you wanted to get into the first team dressing room, which was the home dressing room, then you had to you had to become a, a squad player uh, for the first team and you had to have that experience. And that was a long way off when I first joined. I didn't think I'd ever make it. But I was, you know, but in training, you're called up to to join in training with the first team sort of on a regular basis. They have the, the practice games and they need to sort of pick their wits against the youngsters just to see if, you know, the first team tactics are going well and all these kind of things. So, so you, you know, it's really weird when you, when you, I mean, what was your team? What is your team now? Um, I actually work for a team called Gosport. We're in, um, I think, the Southern Premier. So I think it's the seventh, yeah, seventh step of football. Yeah. But, you know, what about your sort of pro team? What What is your uh, professional team? Oh, the team I support. Yeah. Oh. Um, and going into the club on a daily basis and seeing all the stars and seeing the you know, the people that you know and love sort of thing and admire your heroes and having to, to join in training with them, which sounds like heaven, sounds like utopia, but, you know, you've, you've got to make sure that you, you do yourself justice. You, you know, you can't just stand there and watch them train and admire the view sort of thing. You have to then yeah. compete and take part and you have to, to do things to those first team players if you get the opportunity when you're a youngster like I was and you have to like take the ball off them or tackle them or, or hurt them sometimes when, in, in challenges. So, you know, that's a different mentality. That's something that, you know, you have to be tough to do and you have to be very, what can I say, single-minded and, and make sure that you come out and, and you do yourself justice and credit so and afterwards you can have a laugh and a joke with them and all that sort of thing but the more you do it the better you become and the more confident you become and and you earn their respect as well I think if you if you compete and compete really hard physically mentally everything else they do respect you and they, they do then like to to have you in their company so it's it's a gradual business it's you know you've got to build up a reputation and you you do that you know against people that you you know and love sort of thing and like but you have to do it and if you do do it well then it stands you in good stead for when you do get into that first team dressing room or get the opportunity to play and that is exactly what you did you must have done something right in training because you would go on to make your debut at Everton and I think it was in front of a crowd of 33,000 if that's all right but yeah I can't believe that 33,000 at such a young age how do you yeah. even prepare for that I think it was thirty-three thousand four hundred and six or something like oh, that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got the pro I got the program from the game, and I got all the Ipswich players to sign it. I don't know where it is now, but I want Ipswich players to sign it. So, and I did that when I, we went to Liverpool on the Wednesday, sorry Tuesday after that Everton game, and uh, I got the Liverpool, I got the Ipswich players against Liverpool to sign it. So I was still a fan, if you see what I mean. So yeah. it was still it was still great for me, but yeah, but you you are prepared to play in the first team you do you know when you're in the reserves in particular because you progress from under 18s to the reserves when you're in the reserves you play alongside some you know um can you say uh, older first team players who are not in the first team anymore um squad players young players teammates from the under 18s so you you get used to playing in a sort of team with your heroes and with you know that that, that represents Ipswich Town Football Club so when it comes to the first team, the only real difference is the size of the crowd and the occasion. And 
the history of the club and the responsibility of you know not letting people down. So yeah, the night before was quite in, interesting. The night before we flew up to uh, Merseyside and stayed in a hotel and we then um, um, had to prepare for the game. But the gaffer Bobby Robson had already told me I was playing, so I knew I was starting. Um, but then. You know, I think we had a sleeping pill or something. A doc came around with a sleeping pill, which was all right in those days. Uh, and we took it and I slept like a baby and woke up. And it's, it's probably then that the nerves hit in, because you know, it hit you. Because, you you know, my mum and dad came up to the to the game. Um, they drove up from Lowestoft in Suffolk. Um, and it was, it was quite bizarre, quite surreal. You sort of float along, thinking about all the things you've got to do. And in the end, you try and cast your mind somewhere else and, and forget about the game and you know then when you get to the ground everybody wants you know the all the scouts want tickets and any spare tickets and all that sort of thing and you know it, it's 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 a lovely thing you you plan for it and you prepare for it and when it comes you know you you've got to grab it you know and 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 make sure that you you do you do yourself justice and and say right this is what I want to do for the rest of my career I want to play and I want to enjoy it and I want to love um, winning games and all this sort of thing. But we didn't win the game, but it was a great experience. And then we flew back in the evening, back down to Suffolk after the game, and um, we were able to to get back in time to watch it on Match of the Day. So luckily, it was the it was the sort of feature game, which you know, obviously only one game per per Saturday. So we were lucky that it was a feature game, and it's really weird. It's more weird. Um, seeing yourself on TV than it was actually playing the match. Yeah, I bet it is. Because straight after that game, I'm surely fame must have followed you around. Because you must have became a hero of quite a few young kids watching the game as well. So did you find this was the moment where fans started to come up to you, maybe approach you for an autograph or photo? Well, we had we had a few fans before that were sort of reserve team fans and used to watch us under 18s fans because we had a very good under 18 side and what we won the league that year and that I played in it in the previous year so but they um yeah you didn't really get much of that but it was it was big news and I wasn't a hero because I hadn't done anything for the first team I was just breaking into the first team so I was you know that was one of these sort of youngsters to watch sort of thing and make sure that you see him and all that sort of thing and and which was very nice and very flattering but still wanted to to do the job and do it well and and create your own history and create your own legend sort of thing so it, but it, they're all little steps along the way to what you hope will, will become uh, a major success and you, you just don't know what's going to happen in the future but you know we approached every step um positively um enthusiastically and do your job professionally then you know you've got a chance but um, I played. We, as I say, we played against Liverpool on the Tuesday, and we drew two-two at Anfield, which was a good result. And that was the FA Cup year for Ipswich, 1978. And I never played another game for the first team that season. This is April, uh, and in May, May the sixth, uh, Ipswich won the FA Cup, and I was there as a as part of the staff up in the stands watching the game, uh, as I had for the semi-final. And it was just an incredible feeling because just watching, no pressure on me. I just watched the game seeing your team, the team that you support and love, win the FA Cup was just was a dream come true. And that was something that I really, really wanted to do and wanted to achieve as well by playing for the club and, and pushing myself to become a, a regular first and then seeing what happens after. 
Well, I would actually say this was Ipswich's golden years because I think they went on to go and win the UEFA Super Cup. And I believe you were actually on the main cover, you know, for the programmes. So I think that happened. But yeah, you went on to win it. And surely this must have been a magical moment as well. Yeah, but, you know, you, you, you want to win a, a domestic trophy. That was the thing for me. You know, you can, I mean, we won the UEFA Cup in, in, in 80, 81. Which was a which was a great achievement for a, a provincial town like us, and with the squad that we had as well, we had a very small squad in those days. So for us to do what we did was unbelievable. We beat a lot of really good teams, and a lot of teams that went on to become champions of their own countries um, mm. that year. So it was an incredible feat. Um, six ties, like twelve games, um, a lot of travelling, a lot of enjoyment. You don't see much of the countries, but you just, you know, you do your job, get in, fly in and then train and then sleep and then play and then go. So it was whirlwind. We played 66 matches that season. Um, I played 65 um, and missed one, I think. And uh, Russell Osman, my um, defensive partner and, and very good friend, he played all of them. So I think he played in every minute of one. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, I think I played 65. I may have played 64. I can't remember. But that was through suspension. That wasn't through anything else. But in those days, you had to play. So for for there being any being a hero and all that sort of thing, yeah, that was when you were elevated to sort of hero status within the club. And it was an unbelievable period, an unbelievable time. Because from an Ipswich fan, back in 74, 75, um, 75, Ipswich got to the FA Cup semi-final. And I was still at school, but a big fan. And Bobby Robson built some really good teams when he was at Ipswich. He built a team and then dismantled it and then built a team and so on and so forth. And he, he created some really, really good sides. And there was an unbelievable scouting network at the club, which Bobby set up. So you knew that you had to, um, what can I say, you know, um, play at the, your very best all the time and train at your very best all the time because they would watch training and if you didn't do particularly well in training, then you didn't play. So their standards were very, very high and you, you had to make sure that you did your very, very best. But that period from the middle of the of the 70s all the way through to 80, 81, 82, that was the, one of the best times the club's ever had and the players that it produced, virtually all the players that came through the youth system went on to become full internationals. So it does show how good it was. Yeah, and we kind of mentioned it a bit earlier, but Ipswich, it's a team you always supported. So did you ever find it a bit hard playing for them? Because it's the one thing supporting them and one thing playing for them. Because you said earlier that you watched them in the FA Cup, so there wasn't really any pressure on you. Must be a whole other pressure playing for your boyhood team. Yeah, yeah of course there is there's pressure. So, you know, the, the fans nowadays show you know he's one of our own don't they so yeah it wasn't quite like that in my in my day but there were a lot of players coming through that youth system that it was it just became the norm it was you know if you didn't come through the youth system if bobby robson bought you you were a freak <laughs> so <laughs> and he didn't buy many players and he only bought 14 players and oh, wow. brought them to the club over the time that he was there which was about 60, 67, 68, i think it was to 1982 so it was a long time um, and it's not because Bobby was a bit tight and didn't want to spend the money. He didn't have the money. So it was a case of make do. And that's why he set up the youth system many, many years ago before that. And 
it was a huge huge success because of the eyes and uh, the knowledge of the scouts um, bringing them down to Ipswich. Paul Gascoigne came down to Ipswich on trial as well once, I remember. Um, but he wasn't taken on, so you know there were a few that slipped through the net. But it was a really really good um, system and a good setup. And the way that we played um, together, we were all great mates. Everybody was really good friends. There were no egos in the in the squad. Um, it was perfect, really a perfect and really really good place to to play and to live. Ipswich is a lovely town. Um, I'm a Suffolk boy, and it was lovely. But I think I, I understand your point. I, I, there was probably more pressure on me being an Ipswich fan and from Suffolk. More so than players that came from Scotland and the Northeast and Carlisle and everywhere else. So, um, yeah, but it was it was something you, you just took in your stride. And I think with the training, with the upbringing, with the demands physically and and uh, emotionally, you you were were toughened to to accept that, uh, embrace it, take it on, and enjoy it. You know, it was it was really nice. So. You know, a lot, a lot of the players came through the new system, so everybody was used to it. Yeah, because obviously you came through the youth system with Ipswich, but you also came through the youth system with England as well, because I think you originally started in the under-21s, is that right? Yeah, I played seven times for the under-21s. Uh, Russell Osman was just ahead of me. Russell had played for the under-18s. Uh, he's, he's just a couple of months younger than me, but we, we sort of grew up together playing for the under-18s and... We had a great time and really enjoyed it. And then that transferred through to the reserves. And then Russell got his debut before me. He played for England under-21s before me um, and played more games for England over a couple of years when we were younger than, than I did. So, yeah, he was he was a great player. Lovely to play alongside. Talked very well. He's a two-footed um, player and two-footed in the tackle as well at times, which he got away with. But he was he was he was lovely. It was just good to play with. He was a very good very good on the ball. I used to win the ball, give it to him, and then he'd spray it around. So we had a very good partnership. But um, yeah, it was it was it was. What can you say? It was it was tough in those days. But you know, you you learn you learn well. You had to learn well and, and learn fast. Yeah, because you actually got your way into the main England team eventually. And how does that work? Do you get a phone call from the manager or something? Do you find out through rumours? How does that work? Well, you get picked for the squad, the senior squad, and that's the same with the under-21 squad. You normally found out about it on teletext. And you don't know what oh, teletext wow. is, yeah, but it was uh, <laughs> it was something that was on the television, like uh, information. Um, and you would punch in numbers and everything else on your on your remote control and up would pop the the news, football news, and it took an age to for every page to come up eventually. So you know you learned that you're on there because they used to send letters. The FA used to send letters to you for the 21s and any representative team for England, and you never got the letter until after it was announced in the press. Oh. Yeah, so you know you, you never knew, but it was it was lovely to see and lovely to to get the letter eventually and. To, to, to be called up, it's a, a real honour. And, and early on, especially, he was, you know, he, he felt a bit scared and a bit frightened, thinking, my goodness, it's another level. And it, it certainly is another level in terms of mentality, not so much physicality, but mentally, it's another level. But I wanted to do that. And I wanted to, you know, you sort of, when, you, when you've had a, a good few seasons with a club, two, three seasons, you want to progress. 
on onto the international side and and face that challenge as well, just just to see what you could do. And some of the other players aren't given the opportunity, but like I say, when you when you if you're lucky enough to get it, then you've got to take it. And the under twenty one games were good for me, uh, and then we went into the senior squad, and it took a while. I had a couple of injuries as well, which sort of interrupted my flow and and uh, all my games. But as soon as I overcame those, I was I was back, and I was lucky in many respects because uh, people like Dave Watson, who was the centre back for Sunderland and Man City, and he was coming to the end of his international career, um, and I was I just picked Russell to play for the under for the World Cup in '82. Um, I got into the team and. Lucky for me, the results went the right way, and Ron Greenwood, who was the England manager, picked me for the '82 World Cup. But to play for your country, to stand there with it, with with that shirt on, with the three lines, is just one of the best feelings you'll ever have as a person, and let alone as a player. And it's it's just really, really great memories. And you know, it's the national anthem playing is just spectacular. Hairs on the back of your neck stand up and. You know, I was told by Mick Mills as well, my captain, I had to stand there with my chest out and my thumbs down the seams of my shorts. Just make sure that you don't let yourself down. You're properly dressed. That was a big thing. That was a big thing with Bobby Robson. He used to, he used to say to you that, um, you know, you, you know, you can play badly, you can play well, but you actually look the part. You know, make sure that you look the part and don't become bedraggled and you know, your shirt out and socks down and all this kind of thing. He didn't like that very much. And but that was part of the of the discipline. That was part of format of being a footballer for Ipswich Town Football Club. You had to carry yourself as an ambassador for the club wherever you went. Not so much off the pitch because Bobby couldn't catch us off the pitch. But you know when you're on the pitch and at the football club representing it, you make sure that you you look the part and you're you're nicely professionally turned out. Yeah, because you mentioned looking the part, and I'm not sure if you got a straight away with England, but you did at some point get number six, which is a great number to have, following the, some of the best footballers in their footsteps. So did you get this number straight away, or did you have to work to get this number? Well, it was you didn't have a squad number for England like they have now. So it was 1 to 11 for the, for the starting 11, and then obviously the substitutes had their own numbers, but... Uh, and there weren't many substitutes then either. So, yeah, but I, I think I started off as a number five. I mean, I, people looked at me and thought, well, he's another Jackie Charlton sort of thing. And, um, Dave Watson, sort of like player, um, being strong, going head the ball. But I soon, hopefully, you know, made people believe that I could pass the ball well and I could stroke it around and drop in forward passes and switch diagonals and all this kind of thing. But I love number six. Number six was my favourite number, and the Bobby's used to make people that follow. You know, follow. I followed a lot of great people, but particularly Bobby Moore. He was my yeah. he was my hero. Um, he was a right-footed, left centre back, but you know he was two-footed and he could pass the ball. And I love number six, and I didn't want to be labelled as a big header stopper number five. You know, that would stick his head everywhere. I didn't want that. I was more. It was more to my game than that. So. I wanted to be number six and number six at Ipswich, luckily, and then number six for England. And um, the only time I didn't wear number six for England was and number five was when I wore number four in the World Cup in 82 because the squad was numbered alphabetically. So oh. I was B for Butcher, so I ended up 
right at the start. So I was uh, number four. I never wore number four in my life. You know, that's a, that's a midfield player. Numbers four and eight are the two centre midfield players and five and six centre backs and, you know, the traditional way, 11 left footed on the left and a seven right footed on the right, right and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, I mean, people have fun with numbers now, but I'm a traditionalist and I like it the way that it was. Yeah, because that is a great number, obviously. And you did have that number, I think, in the 1986 World Cup. And I think we need to talk about that briefly because we did get to the semi-final with England. But then no, there was one no, man. No, no, we got to the quarterfinals. <laughs> oh, was it the quarterfinals? Sorry, quarterfinals, yeah. But there was just one man. I think you know who I'm talking about here. But it was just that match against Argentina, really, that kind of ruined it for us. Because, you know, Maradona's hand of goal moment. I just really want to brush on that, really. Because did you actually see the goal yourself? Or... Yeah, I saw the goal, but I didn't believe... I just couldn't believe how he got it in the net because he seemed to jump <laughs> higher than the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper could use his hands. And, of course, it wasn't until really after the game that we saw the the stills and the photos of the of the hand of God that you, you know, you believe then that he cheated. And, and uh, it was, it was, for such a great player, for him to do that, I thought was, you know, and then not admit it, was, was way, way beyond... Uh, um, the spirit of the game, way beyond it. Bobby Robson was very good with his his um, denunciation after the game, uh, and you know he was fuming and seething inside because we'd been we'd been cheated out of a goal. Now it may not have affected the result of the game, and Argentina you know, would probably still go on to win it. But at the time, it was. You know, I think we were, and actually looking back, I think we were very shocked as players. I never really saw him clearly do it and half the team never saw him clearly do it but the other half were running past me and trying to make the referee change his mind um, because he'd given the goal um, so I ran after them hoping that there'd be strength in numbers but he didn't change his mind and, and of course we were shocked after that and I think Argentina scored the second goal very very close to to when they got the first goal so you know it was it was like a double whammy more than anything else so that was that was hugely disappointing that we we'd gone two 0 down when there was nothing to choose between the teams, and we only really started to play in the last fifteen minutes of the match, and of course it was too late. Well, with the second goal, I don't think really anyone could have done too much about it because looking at it on the highlights, it just looks incredible. I think he got past about six England players, and then the shot just to finish it off is pretty good as well. But really, if it wasn't for this Argentina match. Is it really what if what would have happened if we would have won it? Do you think we could have actually gone on, maybe won a World Cup? Well, we thought we were unlucky in 1982 because we played five games and we hadn't lost a game. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and, there were, and there were no penalties in the, in those in those uh, days. So um, we we you know 85 they had we we were we won the first three group games comfortably. Um, we then went to play against Spain and, and West Germany, and it was um, groups of three, which never never worked. Um, yeah. And it was it was a really bizarre way, but we drew against Germany, West Germany nil nil, and then we drew nil nil against Spain, so we had the two points. But Germany had already beaten Spain and then drew with us, so they had the three points, I think it was then, or whatever. Yeah. But they had more points than us, but. It was terrible. It was awful. And to only concede one goal in five games and be out of the World Cup and not lose. 
that was when I thought we had a really good chance because Kevin Keegan and Trevor Brooking, our two best players, only played the last 20 minutes oh, of, wow. of, the, of the Spain game. So, you know, and Kevin was sort of, you know, European player of the year and, and a few few cases and was really, really in good form then. So, and Trevor was, wow, you know, Trevor Brooking was excellent. So, we, our two best players really didn't play in the tournament. Um, and maybe they, you know, if we'd have got through, we'd, in the semi-final in particular, they would have been available. But, you know, that's all ifs and buts and maybes. And Argentina yeah. as well, um, you know, you sort of think, well, that might have been the case. But we didn't cover ourselves in glory early on in that competition, just in the latter part when we beat Poland 3-0 in the final group game. And then we beat Paraguay 3-0 in the Azteca Stadium to then get to the quarterfinal. And we knew that if we could beat Argentina... Then we we would stand a very good chance of, of getting possibly to the final because I think it was Belgium in the semi final, but um, it was obviously four years after the Falklands and you know there was all kinds of political stuff going on about the game as well. But put from a football point of view, it was disappointing because we knew that we could play we could have played much better. So what is actually said to the players after full time after losing in a competition like this? Because really, from a manager's point of view, I would imagine it'd be quite hard, especially with the newspapers back then as well. Because surely they must have been quite harsh. Because I don't even think there was really any legislation. They just used to slash the players, really. Well, I think the longer you go in, in World Cups and European Championships, the more the press seems to love, to, to love you and like you. So um, we were caned by the press early on because we'd lost to Portugal and drew against Morocco. And Brian Robson was injured and Ray Wilkins had been sent off. So there's lots of uh, ammunition for the for the papers, but there was a there's paper wars at the time, and everybody wanted to outdo each other with the vitriol that they put to you know that they gave England. So, but we sort of won them over really in a way, and I think the the press in particular for the Argentina game concentrated on Maradona and the handball more than anything else. And I think we got a lot of sympathy because we got knocked out through somebody's cheating, blatant cheating. So. There was a sort of sympathy vote there when it when it came to it. So, you know, the, but the press were a strange lot. They were, you know, if you if you're doing well, um, they love you and they build you up and then knock you down. Um, and if you're down, then they hammer you. But it's part of it. I think the simple thing is, don't don't read the papers, don't read anything. But and there's no internet in those days. But what the England what the manager says to you after you lose and go out of a World Cup is simple it's just right lads just go home that's it there's nothing you can do nothing you can say you know you, you know you sort of feel you've let your country down but you know as long as you feel yourself that you've given your very best then you know you can hold your head up high because uh it's not easy in world cups and and certainly it's um it's it's what can i say it's great it's, it's just a great place to be you want to be in a world cup squad you want in particular um, because there's nothing better in football than, than taking part in the World Cup. And I've been lucky enough to do it three times. So it's it means a lot to me. Well, your final World Cup in the qualifiers it actually saw one of your most famous moments. I just want to take it back because I'm sure you know what I'm already talking about. It was against Sweden and was one of the qualifiers. Can you just tell me your well-ready story in that game? Well, it was a nil-nil draw. It wasn't particularly exciting. Um, we didn't want to lose the game uh, against Sweden. They'd beaten us at Wembley before, so they were the eventual group winners. And they went to the Italia World Cup as winners of the group. 
but the second place team qualified as well and we wanted to be to be there it was neck and neck with us in Poland as well we, we had to play after that game against Sweden so we needed to get uh, at least a point and make sure that we could go into the Poland game knowing that we could we could qualify so it was an indifferent campaign it wasn't great um, through injuries and suspensions etc Brian Robson was missing from that game so I was captain uh, and we had an all-white kit and I had a bit of a head knock and a bit of bleeding as well so yeah it sort of added to the mix and many else and I think because it was such a boring game and not very good my my bloodied head seemed to take uh, all the attention of the press so yeah I've um, I've seen that picture many many times and, um, it's still it's still it still fills me with pride because of what happened on the on the day but get a bit embarrassed every now and then particularly when people wear um, a, a red sort of headband and dab um, ketchup on their on their brow and on their on their shirt as well when it comes to fancy dress costumes so been in the game a long while and I'm regarded highly as a fancy dress costume it's a bit it's a bit discouraging yeah because I was about to say that have you actually seen your own fancy dress costume you can get one on eBay I think for 20 quid but it's called the Terry Butcher Halloween costume it's basically uh -huh. just white English shit <laughs> well, if I if I had Im image rights or um, what can I say a trademark on my name, then they'd have to pay me money for that. But you know, it's it's just amazing what happens and people see it. And even in the women's World Cup final, I think it was one of the one of the England girls. Oh, yep, yeah. Head and, and I was I was watching the game. I was watching the, the final with some friends, and they and this, this, my friend, my friend Keith said. I'm going to look on Twitter, he said, and I'll bet you all have been the number one trending. And he looked on Twitter, and I was. I was the number one trending, and people, because it was referred to as a Terry Butcher sort of uh, headband, and everybody was jumping <laughs> on it and shouting things as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's nice to be remembered for one thing, if nothing else. And that one thing is is that is that bloody head. But, yeah, there we are. It's, but I've, I always say, you know, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a, uh, a player, or an athlete, or anything else, and, and something that you know you get an injury and it doesn't um, stop you from performing, you're going to carry on, and you want to carry on. Particularly when you're the captain of your country, you've got to show an example. You've got to show the stiff upper lip and just get stuck in and get on with it. Simple as that. Now I did come when I came back to Rangers. I was playing at Rangers at the time. I came back and um, Graham Souness, who's my manager, who's pretty tough. And he said to me, he says, uh, you know, I came back on the, I think it was the Friday, because we flew back on the Thursday after the game. I came back on the Friday, came into training, and he just said a few words to me. He just said, well done. He said, you're playing tomorrow, and then walked away. So, oh. <laughs> well, that, well, that was perfect. That's all I wanted him to know, because there was no concussion protocol in those days and anything else. <laughs> it was a case, and even if he if he'd said, you're, you know, you're not going to play, I would have been immensely angry so i think he didn't he didn't want that so it was uh, yeah but it was it was it's it's good it's it's a famous famous uh, iconic picture uh, it's one of the most sort of popular for people to buy and uh, i don't know i don't know why but there we are <laughs> do you have that picture actually hanging up in your house somewhere you must be joking no no, no. <laughs> i've got a few pictures of myself in this room i've got a few pictures of myself but that's because I used to have a pub in Scotland, uh, not a pub, yeah, pub bar in a hotel, a small hotel. So I had 
we had some action pictures sort of put on the walls just to show that uh, um, I was once an athlete, I was once a, a professional player. Yeah, because also you mentioned Graham Souness recently. I think Ipswich, after Ipswich, you joined Rangers, was it? Yeah, joined Rangers, 86, yeah, after the Mexico World Cup. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I think Ipswich, they got relegated, so it must have been quite a tough decision for you to leave. Yeah, I'd, I'd signed in 1985, I'd signed a new four-year deal, and Ipswich was my team, and I was captain of the team, and I wanted to stay at Ipswich, and I wanted then to, to bring them back up, because, you know, we'd taken them down, the next thing is to, the best thing is to, you know, bring them, help bring them up. But because Ipswich had pay, uh, paid for a stand to be built, so to increase the capacity at the ground, the stand cost money, um, they had to borrow money, so the, the repayments were were very big. So, you know, it was, and uh, we'd, we'd, a lot of good players, the, the top stars had left. So I was one of the last ones to leave because my money, the transfer money, they had to get money of that sort of size. I think it was 700 1,000, 725 or 750. They had to get that money to help them pay the stand. So there was no, and the manager said, he said, look, he says, I said, I want to stay, Gaffer, I want to stay. And he just said, no, he says, you've got to go because we need your money to pay for it. Wow. That was it. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Must have been really strange then getting told that, considering you've been such a legend for them as well. Because I would well, imagine. Was it was horrible because I wanted to stay as my team, my, yeah. my supported and still support, so still watch. So, he, you know, it was really, really hard. I think in the end, both of us were in tears because oh. one, one thing had gone down, the second thing, I, I, I couldn't stay. And it was horrible, really, really horrible. So I went to the World Cup knowing I was going to be sold, didn't know to whom, and then, then came back and eventually met Graham Souness, and that was it. Yeah, because I think, was there actually a Man United offer as well before Rangers? No, Man United had tapped me up for three years. They wanted me, um, Ron Atkinson was the manager, he wanted me up there. So I thought that they would come in and that would be a done deal, but they never did. Um, oh. Some of them were interested, but never never put up the money. But I went to, went to Rangers and we thought, well, let's go for it. But there was Mark Falco had signed for Rangers and Chris Woods, who was in the squad with me as well. Uh, out at uh, Mexico, he he was from Norwich, and of course um, we were big rivals. But you know he was an England player out there, and he soon became my teammate at Rangers, and you know it was it was great, very good. He, he actually became my roommate in the end. Oh wow, really? Mm. Yeah, because I think this Graham Souness revolution it was really renowned for being the English invasion. Because I think he signed quite a few English players. So did you kind of get a bit of stick when you originally went over to Scotland just for being English? Yeah, you do. You get a lot of stick every day, but you have to you have to take it on the chin and give it back if you can. But it was pretty fierce. But especially in the Rangers dressing room, they you know there's a lot of really really good Scottish players and. They sort of regarded us as the enemy, very much the enemy. And, and um, I've been to Rangers before and played and with Ipswich and we won. Uh, I've seen the ground a little bit before and it was just an amazing place. It had a sort of feel about it, a real special feel. And, and one that, you know, with the squad of players that we had as well, we sort of looked at it and you thought, wow, these are, these are very good. Some good younger ones coming through, Ian Durant, Derek Ferguson, and some really good you know, players like Ali McCoyce, of course. David Cooper, bless him, who's passed away. Some really, really good stars, and he sort of felt we've got a chance here. We really have, 
um, and it turned out to be a very very good move for me and something that I would absolutely love and never never regret for never regret for one minute but it was uh, a different it was, it was different it was how can I say you know you sort of think um, playing for England and playing for Ipswich and you know going for cups and glory is quite intense but nothing's as intense as playing Scotland it really isn't it's in those days it was it was unbelievable the, the same amount of press as the English English papers and TV so, and even more pressure when you think about it because it was so small the country's so small it's very insular not many people but it's it's everything to people it's everything um, obviously religion as well comes into it with Rangers and Celtic but it's more about the football and the football was everybody wanted to beat you everybody was desperate to beat you so you had to be at your very very best which is what you really want as a professional footballer you want to be pushed all the time to play at your best because you know you don't get complacent you don't get slack you've got to be really on blob all the time yeah, I bet in a weird way it, it was quite fun because Rangers were the top team and you did have teams like Celtic, like you said. You must have loved playing in those type of games, surely. The old firm derby. Well, the old firm derby is the best derby in the world. It really is. It's, you talk about intensity. You know, you can't, you can't tell, you can't speak to your teammate five yards away. You won't hear. You just have to rely <laughs> on instinct. You rely on training and understanding and reading the game. But we had, luckily we had some really good players to do that. But I mean, generally came out on top more against Celtic than anyone else. So, but it, it was it was at a stage in, then when Hearts had just been beaten for the title by Celtic. You know, Aberdeen um, under Sir Alex Ferguson were going well. Dundee United, um, very strong side in in Europe, and obviously under Jim McLean. So there were some really really good managers, really good teams, really good characters up there. And, and we could be beaten by anybody. Um, we got beat by Hamilton, who were who got relegated that season oh, um, wow. in, the, in the Scottish Cup. They beat us at home. Uh, I brought us one nil. It was one of those sort of freakish results that could and you know did happen in Scotland. And you know we would beat Celtic New Year's Day, say, and then the following weekend we'd we'd lose to Motherwell or something like that. You know it was it was it was really weird. If you let your standards drop for a, a fraction any stage you get beat uh, and then people used to revel in it and they, people loved it but the first in the first season with Rangers it took a while to get going we weren't top of the table till around about probably January February um, not even that and it was nip and tuck with Celtic but it was you know you, you sort of felt that any anyone anyone could beat you on their day if they were good enough and if they really fancied it and we weren't quite at it so Graham Sinness used to hammer that home to everybody. You know, your standards have got to be high all the time because um, he played at Liverpool and everybody wanted to be Liverpool. So, yeah, you sort of get, you, you get, you know, you had to get used to it quick, but it was great. It was fun. It was a brilliant place to live and we loved it up there. It was just an unbelievable experience. Well, we, you would go on to win quite a few cups with Rangers. But one question I do actually want to ask is about Graeme Souness. He seemed like a great manager, but I think I would be a bit scared if I had him as a manager. But what was he actually like behind closed doors? Oh, he was very good. He was very matter of fact, good, good sense of humour. He's um, He was. Um, he always asked you about the English players down south, the ones that weren't up at Ibrox, uh, up, up north. Um, because there was an there was a ban on a European ban for English clubs um, from I think eighty six to 
to 90 or something like that because of um, because of Heisel. So, you know, a lot of English players were, were very keen to come up, especially England internationals, and we would have a word with them on the, on the QT when we'd meet up with squads and say, do you fancy it? But, you know, it's it was good because he was, you know, he was very open and um, very factual, didn't beat about the bush, didn't suffer fools gladly, but he was tough. You know, training, he was tough. He still wanted to be a player, but his calves, his calves were sort of packing in and couldn't make it all the time. And it was, it was, it was very sporadic, his playing career, but, you know, he was, he was the manager, he was the figurehead. And Walter Smith was the, was the sort of brains behind the partnership. And, um, as, as number two, he would tell us what to do in terms of marking and the, the sort of uh, minutiae that you have in football, where you've got to talk, sort out, you know, your, not your tactics, but sort out, you know, the, who you're picking up, your shape, and all these kind of things as well. So there was a great team that um, that helped us, uh, but the characters of the of the of the, of the squad helped to to pull us through, especially some of the dark times when we'd lose and. You know, we had a bad start. Lost the first two. Out, uh, lost two out of the first three. And Grahamson has sent off in the first game. So you know, it wasn't easy. And it's definitely not easy in Scotland. But you know, we had to make sure that in the end, you know, we won the marathon rather than the sprint. Yeah, well, that's really what you want with Rangers. Because really, overall, looking back, would you say your time in Scotland was your favourite bit of your career? No, I don't think it, it was one of the favourite, one of the best. Um, I find it difficult to differentiate between what was best, um, Ipswich, Rangers and England. You know, I was very lucky to play a lot of games for both sides and they were, they were great. They were unique in their own way, in their own special way. Um, and I'm just so lucky to have been a part of all three, really, and, and to have learned so much but done so much as well. It was an incredible sort of roller coaster ride, but it was just... The highs were high and the lows were very low, but you know, in between, it was it was brilliant. And if you if you ask a lot of people what you know, would you, especially around here and Suffolk, where I live, you you would you know, look, this is going to be your your career. Would you would you fancy it? Everybody would jump at the chance of that. So yeah, we was it was. Uh, you know, I never thought early on I I would ever do something like play for Ipswich Rangers in England, and I'm very lucky I did. Yeah, because really, these were, I would say, like you said, these are the highlights of your playing careers. But then I think you wanted to try something new with commentary. You actually went into a managing coach role. Is that right? Can you just tell me what that is? Well, I went into a player-manager role. Um, only played seven times in 18 months. Like like Graham Sinness, my, my knees were... Well, he had his calves and I had my knees and <laughs> they weren't in a very good shape. And uh, um, you know, I didn't play as many games as I would have liked to. Um, but I tried to learn the ropes. I didn't have a uh, um, uh, a badge, uh, a coaching badge. I didn't have any any real knowledge of coaching teams, and I then had to coach the team. But obviously, got um, people to come in and help as coaches. But you've got to learn on the run and uh, try to pick out all the best bits of the managers that I'd served under, um, and try and use them and. Just really try, you know, approach it the the way I felt that I would like to be managed in myself. So um, you try and do that, but when you come to you, you know you learn very quickly in football that things can change where things are going quite well as they were at Coventry. We eventually picked them up, changed a few things around, and and it was going quite well. 
and then the, the club changes hands. The new owners come in and they obviously want their own men involved in their own manager uh, and it's, it's curtains then. That's what happens. Um, so there's one thing certain in football, that's you, you, you'll get the sack. So, <laughs> you know, you, I went from an inexperienced manager the day before I was sacked. When I was sacked, I became very experienced. So <laughs> you live and learn. And it's, it's been a little bit the same way at a lot of the clubs where I've gone into and things have changed. And, you know, you, you know that you're going to be the first one out. But, you know, you just you have to take it on the chin, learn from it and see what happens after that. Yeah, so with coaching then, you had no real training or anything like that because I'm guessing captaincy, that might have helped you a bit, but you don't really have anything like sports science back then, so it must have been really hard to originally get into. Sports science was a test tube, I think, which you gave a, <laughs> a sample after the game. That was about sports science. Yeah, you didn't have anything like that. Fitness coaches, what were they? You know, <laughs> wow. you know, nutritionists, what were they? No, we didn't have anything. You know, it was data was what you read on the back of the paper that was the only data that we had and it's that was incredible but um we had we had some some good fit or a good physio a good doctor a kit man a bus driver two coach well a coach one coach one manager and that was it um, Whoa, really? so, wow. so that was it that was it and the the the, the only bit of um kit that the um physio had was a sponge and a bag a leather bag full of water and that was it and whatever what? injury you had you used to run on and apply the sponge which wasn't nice if you had a groin strain so no it was it was very very basic but yeah it was but we you, know, you get by and you learn and but the thing about bobby robson in particular he was way ahead of his time he wanted to learn about science and learn about different things so when I became a manager, you try to apply a lot of the things that he learned, which was different to a lot of other people were doing. So, it, you know, it's just about evolving and about getting better. And the, the universities have started to do a lot of sort of work on courses for um, sports science and things like this. And, and you know, it was nice because you used to get sometimes the, the university guys come along and have it as part of their training and uh, interns, I think they're called. And, and it was it just start. It was just starting to sort of find its feet, um, and it was really good to be part of that and to be part of the new, the new sort of order. Um, but you still coach the way that you wanted to coach. There was all different kinds of systems, and I knew if I wanted to progress in coaching, I then had to become uh, qualified. And then you've got to work through all your badges, and you know the B badge, A badge, the A license, and then through to um, Pro license, which is the it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, pro license, particularly in Scotland as well. That's the hardest place. Oh, um, I think I think Jose Mourinho got his pro license from Scotland as well. So really? wow. it shows it, the, the, you know, the quality of the course. And Jim Fleeting was the was the course director. He was he was mad as as a mad as a hatter, but he was funny. He was pretty <laughs> funny. But he he taught me so much as well. But you know, you you've got to be a sponge. You've got to learn about these things from the right people. Uh, and get through it and when once you're through it once you've got a pro license you can coach anywhere in the world so that's the main thing to get and uh, it's just younger and younger players and younger and younger coaches now getting qualified coming on board so whether that's a good thing or not I'm not too sure. 
Well, actually, after your time in coaching, I think you actually took a bit of a break from football because I was reading somewhere that you actually took over a hotel and you actually run your own insurance branch. Is that right? You kind of turned into a bit like Alan Sugar. <laughs> no, 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 I was the one that got fired, not firing somebody else. But oh. no, I, I was, I was, um, we used my name as a um, sort of heading for um, an insurance company in Ipswich. It's Terry Butcher Insurance Consultants Limited, so um, which we did very well. It was my neighbour was a Bob was a, um, a Lloyd's underwriter, and uh, he he just, he said, well, what about you know getting a new opening a new business? And he knew some people that could that could be in the business as well. So we had um, three of us put in two thousand pounds each, and the manager which we got was we put in five hundred, so that was like six thousand five hundred started a business. And it went on to do very, very well. We got two holiday homes in Florida. We had three, four offices. Um, and everybody needs insurance. So, you know, we were able to give the good rates and we were able to do very well, customer care, et cetera. Um, I never sold a policy, but I just had my name above the door and that was it, really. So there was that. And, and we decided that we'd, you know, open up something in Scotland that, um, we'd been to a lot. We thought it was easy. We thought, you know, having gone to a lot of hotels and pubs and restaurants that you know about the game, the hospitality game, but you know, it was foolish, really. It was crazy to go into it, but we did, and we came out of it all right, actually, but that was through buying the right property where we were able to sell bits of the property off and just about break even. So not many people did that in, the, in those days. But it was, you know, I was... I was Basil Faulty in Scotland, I must admit, with a hotel. We had that for four years, and it was a lot of pain, a lot of anguish. Some good times, but something I don't recommend. And then that was the hard, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is, was work for the public. And we were very fit because we walked, my, my wife Rita, we walked about everywhere. So oh, wow. we were very fit, very thin, but yeah. It's not good for your health, really. I mean, it may, it may look it, but it's not. It's terrible. So was the original plan just to do this as maybe a backup plan for when you retire? Or was it mainly just to get your mind off of football? Yeah, but I was doing football commentaries. I worked for Radio Clyde up in Scotland during the time. And say Saturday afternoons, I was out watching games in the SPL, as it was then, with the, with the top teams doing commentaries, um, reports. That was quite good, taking your own kit, your own radio kit about and plugging it in and all your engineer as well as everything else. Then you had to go down for the interviews after the game. So I was I was the reporter. We stood, we stood me in good stead because in 96, I became the England summariser for Radio 5 Live. So really? wow. for, the next, for the next 10 years, I followed England all around the world, commentating, uh, doing the summarising with a commentator. Um, I did two European Championships, three World Cups, and I missed two games in 10 years. So, wow. And then, of course, I also became, I got back into football. So I managed to combine it with the, with the hotel, with the football and everything else. So, yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy. Pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, because when you did get back into football, I'm pretty sure you went to Sydney, you went to Wales, Singapore, China. You had a pretty good few experiences. But were you starting to choose more lifestyle over football clubs? The lifestyle? 
Yeah, so kind of like living abroad for a couple of years or having a bit of fun in different countries, trying to escape the Scottish and English weather. <laughs> well, I did a lot of coaching in Scotland for, for Rafe Rovers, Dundee United, youth team coaches and things like this, reserve coaches. I did that and then I became number two to Eric Black at Motherwell. And Motherwell went into administration um, 2001, 2002. And uh, I then took over as the man wanted me to continue as the manager um, and get them out. I eventually got them out of administration a year later, but there was an up and down roller coaster ride there. But then towards the end, I stayed there for about four and a half years at Motherwell. We did really well. Um, and I got to the top six twice, um, League Cup final against Rangers. Yeah, we did all right there. And then I, I had the opportunity to go to Australia. So I thought, well, I'll try something new. My, my knees were poor. I needed new knees. And I thought, I'll just, Australia, it's the sun, let's get out there in the sun, that'd be lovely, a bit of coaching. So I was there for one season with Sydney, uh, and it was tough, the football was tough. It was, uh, it was new, it was different. It was the second year, Sydney were champions and everybody wanted to beat them, uh, and most of them did. So it, was, uh, it wasn't one of my best sort of... Uh, um, journeys in football, but you know the the place itself, for Sydney, was lovely. We had a great time as well off the pitch and you know, beautiful sun and the sea and everything else like that. Sydney's lovely, so we had a great time and then came back. But I still wanted to get in back into football and um, obviously eventually did. Yeah, because I think at one of the times, I'm not sure if this was after or before the Sydney move, but I believe he spent a bit of time at Inverness. And this was a bit of a roller coaster of emotions, if I'm not wrong, because I think he went from relegation one season to getting promotion the following. Is that right? Yeah, well, I, I got the offer of, I was with George Burley as well for Scotland as the assistant oh, manager wow. to Scotland as well. But uh, during that time, I became um, manager of Inverness. And Inverness were at the bottom of the table. I took over in the January uh, and we we got relegated. There's only one team goes down, but we got relegated um, at the end of the season. Um, we did really well. We actually went down on a record number of points. We went down by one goal. So oh. we gave it a really good shot. Um, so, But they kept me on, luckily kept me on. And then the next season, we got promotion. We, I think we were unbeaten in the last 21 games of the season uh, and we went straight back up. Um, and it, that was, you know, it was a roller coaster very much so, but it was very enjoyable because I could still get players in that I wanted to. We didn't have that much of a budget, but the honesty of the players and, and you know, even living in Inverness, it's like right up in the Highlands. It's a beautiful place. And there's like a little microclimate up there as well. And we lived in the snow line and we used to get the snow first at the house and it was just incredible. Every day I used to drive past Loch Ness to get oh, into wow. yes. and, and it was just incredible. The only thing is it, the training ground wasn't particularly great, but we just got on with it. And when you came to Inverness and I, I signed you as a player, you you then had to get on with it. You know, you couldn't moan and groan, couldn't look round and, you know, say, well, this is a load of rubbish. You just got on with it because everybody else did. And if you wanted to play, you, you had to do well. And it was always then a stepping stone for young for players coming up to Inverness. If we did well in the league, say, and then you can get an opportunity of a move back down south and move to a better club and more money. So it was a great springboard. And but everybody enjoyed it. You know, everybody had to stay in Inverness. Um, but everybody got on so well. So it was to get promotion and then do well 
think the last season we finished fifth in the league out of 12 teams, um, which was which was good for our budget. Our budget was one of the lowest in the league, if not the lowest. So we did really well. Yeah, because also, like you mentioned before, you did get rid of quite a bit of Deadwoods and then you brought in new players as well. When signing a new player, it's always something that I've wondered. How do negotiations actually go? Do you speak to them? Do you get scouts to do it? Is it quite hard bringing in a new squad, especially with a new management as well? Because I would imagine a few players were a bit sceptical of it. We didn't have any scouts at Inverness. We had, uh, I had a goalkeeping coach who had fantastic contacts, Steve Marcella. He was a great goalkeeper coach, but he was also an unbelievable, unbelievable scout. He would ring up so many people and he had great contacts. And I signed a lot of the players without ever, ever seeing them play. And really? Stevie wow. Stevie saw them play and I trusted Stevie implicitly. Um, he never let me down and he, he, he got every player that came along did very, very well for me. And he, he'd done the deal before they even came up. He'd spoken to the agents and had the arguments with the agents about their fees and about the players and all that sort of thing. But when the players came up, it was my job then to sell them the club and sell them the hopes, the ambitions, the philosophy and the way we wanted them to play and what happens and all these kind of things as well. Um, and we had a, like a little siege mentality where no one, no one wanted to come to Inverness. It was too far. Um, and it was always, we had to travel every other week down to Glasgow or beyond that. So yeah. it was pretty, it was a long time in the, on the bus and long time on the, the train, something up and down sometimes. But we used, to, we used to have great fun because after games, say we've got a Glasgow, we play, playing Glasgow up and down on the day, three hours down there, have lunch go to the game, play the game, and three hours back. We would stop off at Octorada, which is near Glen Eagles. And there were two lovely chip shops in Octorada. And we'd, we'd go into one, make, phone them up before we got there, put the order in for the bus. And we'd go and have some lovely fish and chips. And the fish and chips in Scotland are just top, top notch. Yeah. Really so we'd have the fish and chips. I was always haddock and chips, is what it was. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was a fish supper, as they called it. And we'd have, a, we'd have fish suppers and sausage suppers and chicken suppers and Ooh. all this kind of thing. So it was really good. And it, it helped the lads really bond. The lads bonded really well together and became a family more than anything else. And a lot of those players are still in touch with me today, you know, through really? social media and for, you know, yeah, they're just brilliant. They just, they really, really are good. And, uh, you know, and you know, when you see, Soccer Gillette, and you see it on a yeah. Saturday sometimes, and then the, the scorers will come up, and it's quite frequently some of the some of the players that I've I've had and 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 you know played for me at, at clubs come up scoring a goal, and it, it's always a, I always laugh to my wife, I always have a laugh. It's, oh, he scored again, like Aaron Collins has scored again for for Bristol Rovers or something like that, and yeah, I remember him and all that sort of thing, and he did this. Like, Johnny Hayes has scored for Celtic uh, for Aberdeen, he's at now. And, we went to Celtic, yeah, and saw him, and yeah, remember him when he came up, and I remember all. Yeah, you just remember because it took a while for the guys to settle in, but once they'd settled in, they they loved it up there, they really did. So, would you say is that one of your most important things of being a coach? Trying just to create this good squad morale and good team bonding sessions as well. Yeah, you have that. Whereas we used to have drinks, you see, we used to get the boys to go out for a session and things like this, and have a lot of drink. Now, you can't do that now because players are very, very conscious about alcohol, yeah. and quite rightly so. So you, you, you know, you sort of, um, you have little fun sessions and do things and go out and, you know, but you know, you're very careful and 
you know, you have. I used to have little quizzes on a Friday night if we we're away in a hotel, and um, we used to have like um, biscuit runs on a Thursday where you'd have a, a you know, you got you got a sprint to to the to the edge of the box from the post. Two players on the posts um, on the pitch, um, and when I shout the command, they they then have to run out <laughs> to the you know. And then it's, it was a bit of fun because the loser had to bring cream cakes in for the players the next morning. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. You're talking about 20 or 30 pounds for a player as well. <laughs> you know, and it, it, was like, it was intense on a Thursday morning when we had the biscuit run. It was really good. And the, the winners of the quiz always used to be exempt from the biscuit run next week. So, yeah, you know, you've got to do things like that. And I think it's so important to have that spirit and that understanding and that togetherness um, for a squad. And, you know, everybody... Is really helping each other, uh, helping each other out. And like I say, there's no egos in, in the team, and you just you just get on with it. And you, and it's so it's so good because everybody we used to play and we used to beat, they always used to say, well, you know, I can't understand how we lost today because we should always be beating you, teams like you. And I, mean, I felt like saying, teams like us. What would you mean, teams like us? Are we supposed to be the yokels and? play shinty and all that sort of thing no you know it's like come on you know it's 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 a football match and if you're better prepared and if you're better equipped and if you're better uh, have a better spirit then you've always got a chance of winning a match yeah and this obviously proved as well because a lot of people were starting to recognize you i think you actually started getting quite a few awards like player no not player sorry manager of the season and stuff like this i think you even got into the scottish hall of fame can you tell me a bit about that yeah, I was the first Englishman to get into the Scottish Hall of Fame. It's quite, I'm quite proud of that. And actually, I've, I'm in four halls of fame: Scotland, yes. um, Rangers, football one, England, yeah, the national, the national one, and uh, Ipswich. So I've got four. Yeah. I'm in four halls of fame, which is pretty good. So I uh, must have done something right somewhere. So yeah, so they, yeah, it was. It's, I got the award from. I got the award, and I had to stand up and make a speech and. Alex Ferguson was there. So oh, was, really? Wow. He, he did nod his head at me when I, when I got <laughs> it. And I was, that's one of the nicest things. That's what that, that accolade is, is really, really touching. But yeah, it's, but you know, you, you, as, as a manager and a coach, you're only as good as, as the team that you've got and the team that you've prepared and, and built. So, you know, it's, it's nice when you get awards, but the award is for the players, you know, what they put in. I mean, the season is so long. Uh, it's, well, 38 games in the in the in the Premier League, but 38 intense battles. They're like you know yeah. every game you play as a trauma. You have trauma. It's 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 pretty brutal. And particularly if you go lower down in the leagues, it's even even more physical. So you know you, you do put yourself through a lot, and and you have to then get back up and play again. But obviously now players and more squad rotations and all that kind of all these kind of things. But Back in the day, didn't have all the big squads, and you had to make sure that you you won games, and you got to win games as a coach and a manager. Otherwise, you you know you get the sack. So um, that's why it's so intense at the moment, and it's so dog eat dog, and win by all costs, and win by can you say cheating? No, not really. That's too strong a <laughs> word, possibly, but by influencing. Put it yeah. that way. Well, something which I did think was very nice is that you actually returned to Ipswich. I think you returned as an academy coach. So it's kind of like where you started is kind of how you're finishing almost. Can you just tell me a bit about your role at Ipswich? 
Well, we, we moved back down here from Scotland uh, to Ipswich and uh, I had the opportunity to go in and, and coach. And um, I was helping out Kieran Dyer for the under-23s, as it was in, in those days. I think it was under-21s now. And I loved it. I really did love it. I was going along. I was only supposed to be in for two days a week, but I used to go along for four days and then do a game as well. And oh, it was just great. Just coaching the youngsters and getting to them to, to see it from a like a really professional sort of outlook that real you know this is what this is what you do and all that sort of thing and you know the, a lot of my values that I had from under Bobby Robson and back in those days they're still very true today and I think it's you know it's football's football you know you can't reinvent football and a lot of people do try but you you know you just got to get the ball in the back of the net and stop it going in your net as simple as that how you do it in between is is up to you but no, it was great. And seeing these youngsters come through to the Ipswich first team, Elkan, Be- uh, Elkan Baggett, the left, left-footed left centre-back, who's an Indonesian uh, international player. He, he's about 20 now, 21. Um, saw him come through. Uh, he's, he's always, I always knew he was going to be a, a top player. Left-footed centre-back, very similar to me. Uh, yeah. Cameron, Humph- Cameron Humphreys coming through to the first team. He scored against Reading the other night. The first team in the in the in the Carabao Cup, so good young players that are coming through that we that we helped to coach and we working with Kieran was great as well. The team qualified for the playoffs and but lost to Sheffield United in the semis. You know that's what Ipswich is all about. That's why I wanted to be an academy coach was become it was to you know to to go back and and turn full circle sort of thing. So I've completed the circle and. Obviously, very happy to do that. Started at Ipswich, finished at Ipswich. So, yeah, it's pretty romantic, but it just ties it up nicely, and it's uh, it's it's nice. And now I go along and watch them on a on a Saturday or whenever they play now in the Championship. Got promotion last year. Kieran McKenna is the coach there now, head coach. He's absolutely brilliant, and he's got a he's got a fantastic team there and a good squad and good owners as well. So. Uh, and it's sold out every game at Ipswich now. It's sold out, and they, they sell out the away ticket allocation as well. It's just incredible. After so many years of neglect, it's really good to see a, a phoenix rising from the flames. And I bet it's also quite cool because you mentioned a couple of these young players. You actually you see yourself in. So when you do see these players coming through the rank and you see them getting the goals as well, surely it must be one of the most rewarding things. Oh yeah, it's one of them. Yeah, it's one of them. I mean, you know, when you're a manager, you, you have to tell young players, in particular, that they're not going to be given another contract and they have to leave the club. And it must they could have been with the club for some eight, nine, ten years. And it's really, really difficult. But it's really nice. And you know, on the other foot, sort of thing. The opposite to that is when you see young players coming through, you see them get a first team opportunity, and you see them progress and become. You know, very much the the sort of person or player that you hoped they would become as well, and knew that they possibly could do if they applied themselves correctly. So, the one thing about Ipswich is you bring young players through, and one thing they don't have is an ego. They they just very sensible, good lads, get on with a very modest, very humble, um, but obviously you know want to be winners, and you you try and give them that sort of winning mentality and outlook. So, yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest rewards you'll ever get from football. Well, Terry, it's been great speaking to you, but I'm just going to finish on a few final questions, which actually my viewers have actually asked. So the first one, it might be a bit of a challenging one, this one, because it's kind of two questions. But what is the best player you've ever played with and the best player you've played against? 
Best player against is Maradona, but that's enough said about him. And the best uh, player I played with, I played with some really, really good ones. David Cooper of Rangers, um, Ali McCoyce as well. Um, you know, people, uh, what can I say? Um, some really, really good ones. But the, the best one for me would be Brian Robson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was good. He was sitting, he sat in front of, of, of us as a central midfield player. Scored the goals as well in the box. Never a defensive player, although he could defend very well. But he was, he's, he led by example. He was gritty. He was tough. He was everything you want from a, a great player. Absolute legend. Yeah, he's obviously a legend of the game. And that actually leads quite nicely to one of my other questions. I'm not sure if you've ever played this game, but FIFA, a lot of my viewers actually play it and do quite a bit with FIFA. But FIFA is this game where legends even have the past. So they get ratings out of 100 where they can kind of come back to the game. So you would have known Gary Lineker. I think he's got a 93 rated team. But basically, each player gets a rating out of 100. And they just want to know, what rating would you give yourself? if you had to review your whole career? 22. <laughs> 22? Well, out of 100? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't believe in that. I, don't, I think it's, it's not how I rate myself. It's how other people do. So it's always been the case, but no, I don't, I don't go in much in for that. So, and, and, and you're right as well. I've never actually played FIFA too. So, or, or three or four or five <laughs> or whatever it is, yeah. And then this one's actually quite an interesting question. I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this, but a footballing story you've never told before. Yeah, you're right. I'm not be able to answer this. <laughs> um, a football story I've never told before. Yeah, so I'm guessing it can just be anything. So maybe a conversation with a player, something that happened in training, like something funny, anything really. Um... <laughs> no, I can't remember. I mean, I've, I've told a lot of stories about um, things that happened in the game, and a lot of things happened in the game. And no, I, I, no, I can't. Rem I can't recall anything else. Either that, or I was probably drunk <laughs> at the time. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no worries. And then this one, I think it's quite a nice question to round off the podcast. What is your proudest moment in your footballing career? So it can be managerial, playing? Well, I was very proud leading the England team out of the World Cup semi-final in 1990. That was one of the proudest moments. But I think I think just for me, at the, right at the start, pulling on the Ipswich jersey, first team jersey, number six, and, and running out at Portman Road, where I'd seen so many of my my heroes run out before but for me to do it and for me to to prove to myself that I could manage I could get into the first team at Ipswich stay there I think that was the proudest moment because it, you have to do that for everything else to have happened during your career so I think that was the proudest moment but I, look, I've been very lucky I've had some unbelievably proud moments um, some not so good moments but you have to take it and you know move on but yeah, I've been very lucky and hopefully people have enjoyed watching me play and hopefully people, well, so if you haven't, then, well, tough luck, that's the way it goes. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think the only people who won't like you is the Norwich fans. But, Terry, okay. it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. Do you have any final words for the podcast? 
No, keep enjoying the football and um, don't get dispirited by all the acting that goes on in the game there because some, we've got some very good footballers, but we've also got some very good actors as well. So, yeah, it wouldn't have happened in my day, but um, that's the modern game. But enjoy it. It's, it's, a, it's a great sport. It's well, well covered by all the TV channels and everything else, newspapers, but it's just brilliant. And hopefully it can get better and better. Well, like I said, it's been great speaking to you, but you guys at home, make sure to like the channel and subscribe for more content. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys.